Welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 39. It looks like we survived Black Monday here at the Midwest Football Podcast. That's the day after the end of the regular season when coaches get fired. So we can keep bringing you analysis and coverage of the NFL's Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. I'm Joe Smith, one of your hosts for the Midwest Football Podcast. And today is January 9th, 2024, as we record. I'm in the Motor City, Detroit, Michigan, my hometown where the celebration of a natty began last night and the city still has a home playoff game to look forward to. Don't worry, we're not. We're an NFL podcast. We know that. And we promise not to dwell on college football too much. But just over Lake Michigan is Chicago, the hometown of my friend and broadcast partner, Brian Rosenquist. Hello, Midwestlanders and friends. As we uh, enter the playoffs for some teams and the offseason for others, there's no rest for the wicked because whether you are a fan of a loser team like I am or you are just into dynasty football, it's time to start grinding and fantasizing about the upcoming draft that's four months away. So uh, shall we get on to it? Absolutely. If you like the show, help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, sharing us to your social media, recommending our show to your friends. Every time somebody new listens to us, it helps us out. So if you want to contact us for, uh, for the show to tell us how we're doing, then email us at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com. But before we get to the analysis and reactions that you came here for, let's talk about the recently departed. And by that, I mean coaches who have been involuntarily retired, at least temporarily, since we last spoke with you. Well, let's start by doing a quick recap and for the end season. I'm switching the order on us real quick. So Frank Reich set a okay. record in Carolina for shortest coaching tenure, beating out Urban Meyer. And then Josh McDaniels in Vegas and Brandon Staley in uh, Los Angeles with the Chargers. Um, on a di- In addition to that, Arthur Smith was the first coach fired in the offseason. He, I don't even know if he got on the plane. Like he was fired almost <laughs> immediately. Yeah, I'm pretty, I think they at least let him back on the plane. Although I think that might've been begrudgingly. Yeah. And then the next guy up was uh, Ron Rivera. That was another one that we kind of, that was the most obvious one we saw coming as Washington clinched the second overall pick. Um, they at least had the decency to wait till uh, Monday to fire, but it might've been 12.01 AM, but you know, he did get till Monday. And then recently Mike Vrabel was the last one let go as of the time of recording this on Tuesday night. He was a Tuesday firing, which in my opinion, um, Mike Vrabel of those six guys is probably the one in the most demand and uh because he has had a great run as a coach with the subpar talent to be honest with Tennessee I mean I, I've seen a lot of uh good Tennessee defenses I couldn't name a player on and Ryan Tannehill engineering a team and then they traded AJ Brown to the Eagles and basically ruined his team last year the last year yeah the Vrabel is the one that jumps out at me as the only one that if I was going into the offseason as you know, in need of a coach, he's the only one out of those six that I would have any interest in whatsoever. I'm with you. Um, as we transition into teams that might be parting ways with their coach, whether mutually or not, um, of the six available, if the Bears were to let Everflus go, I think Vrabel's the only one I would 
be excited for to say, hey, well, we can upgrade there. But I still am in the stance that I think Eberflus did enough the second half of this season to keep his job, but he is still on the chopping block as well as Justin Fields. So that'll be a very interesting, dramatic, and tumultuous offseason for Chicago, who is literally sitting on picks one and one, 101 and 109. So if Eberflus were to be let go, I think Chicago would be a really good um, – high demand job because you can either start over with Caleb Williams or Drake may or ride with uh, Justin Fields and a lot of draft capital or trade fields for a lot of, and then go with build around with a young guy. Yeah. Uh, with Vrabel. Exactly. It was, it was what 2020 when the Titans won the AFC uh, South with a team that was basically Derek Henry, AJ Brown, a little bit of the offensive line and absolutely nobody else. Yeah. So that's the guy that I would want. Mm -hmm. There were talks for a couple of days about maybe trading Mike Vrabel to another team because it would make sense to part ways with Tennessee somewhat. I, agree. I mean, They're I think it's photo. a classic case of GM scapegoating, but mm -hmm. um, in, but they, probably would have been a market for somebody to get and even a token draft pick for him would be better than nothing. And I agree. And this is the one that should have been a mutual parting of the ways we've seen the, we've seen the Titans, you know, the last couple of years, there's a lot of debate that whether or not they should blow it up. They chose to run it back into the point where wow. they lost all trade value for guys like Ryan Tannehill and Derek Henry. Um, so, I'm I'm happy for Vrabel that he gets to go. He'll probably get his pick of the litter. Um, there's a lot of rumors that if the next guy on this list, Belichick, leaves, that Vrabel might be the guy they hire um, in place in the similar to when the, the Colts hired Jeff Saturday, except that the difference is Mike Vrabel wasn't just a Patriot who won multiple Super Bowls. He's also been a really good coach at the NFL level. Um and then, Absolutely. Um, yeah, and if the Bill, if Patriots, you know, their, their roster was pretty bad, but they'll have a chance to start over with the third pick of the draft. So there's a good chance they can get their quarterback of the future because he is not on that roster now. Um, the, the Washington's probably one of the more exciting open head coaching jobs because they pick number two. So they're a team that if you like Drake May and Caleb Williams, you don't even have to trade with Chicago to get one of your guys. You could sit there like Houston did and hope to get the next C.J. Stroud at the two overall pick. You're in position to get one of those guys. Yeah. Um, I did want to touch that the general manager for Tennessee basically came out and said that they wanted to move on quickly and they didn't want to get caught up in you know something that was really complicated like trading a coach, and that blew my mind. That sounds this so is, lazy. The, that's that's how it came off. I don't know if it was intended to be that way. I mm -hmm. think it was more like I think what they intended was more like, well, we want to just move on really quick. Yeah. So we that see. we can get on with, you know, finding our next guy. But at the end of the day, you, you it, it felt like a snap decision that shouldn't ever have been made. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I think if you're trying to paint the rosy uh, glasses or whatever with them is we want to get our head coach search started as soon as possible and give us the best chance to comb through all the assistants before the best ones get snatched up. And I think that's probably what he meant to say, but I would still think that he had value and you could probably trade him. Well, yeah, the, the problem is the reason that they had that they had to move quickly is because he's getting blamed 
within the organization because uh, for the losing this season. So really the GM is putting the mouth on the coach to the owner and that just shouldn't be happening, but it's, we all know it does. I feel bad for Titans fans because of that either, if that's true, then that just means he's stupidly torpedoing a trade asset that he could have had value with, but instead he's, you know, saving his own face by killing his own future by, you know, not getting an extra draft pick out of it. Potentially. Um, yeah. don't want to dwell too much on the Titans. We don't really cover them. Um, other head coaches that might move on. I don't think Pete Carroll will be fired, but he has been there for a long time. There might be a mutual parting of the ways. Um, him and uh, yeah. Belichick have been there for two decades almost now. So they've been there yeah. for a long People time. People quietly forget that Pete Carroll is currently 72. Yes. So he, so he right. So if there needs to be an extended rebuild in Seattle where they are two, three years away, that puts Pete Carroll at 75. And if he doesn't want to be there that long, this may be the time where you negotiate that parting where it actually legitimately makes sense for both of them. Agreed. And let's be honest, he's already well beyond the typical retirement age in the U S and head football coach is a very stressful job. So, but maybe yeah. keeps him young. Um, it's obvious. He loves what he does. Yep. And then we have two other guys that are in the same bucket that are in the playoffs, but could be fired as soon as they lose, if they lose early, because uh, Mike McCarthy in Dallas, you know, they always have Super Bowl expectations until they don't when they get canned early in the playoffs, uh, usually losing right. to a team they're favored to. And then Buffalo, um, Sean McDermott, he's done a good job, but Buffalo has Super Bowl aspirations after they've won the division three to five, three, four or five times. I can't remember. And I think that they don't like the trajectory of going backwards since they were in the AFC championship game three years ago. And, you know, McDermott looks like he's on better ground since about two months ago, Buffalo was apparently hopelessly out of the division and they've made a really nice recovery. Yeah. But that might not save him if Buffalo takes the, the fall early against a, barely got in Pittsburgh Steelers team, then we will discuss that game later. Mm -hmm. Especially because they did um, scrape together another division title literally in the last two minutes of the game against division rival Miami. But now there's more pressure on them because they have a home game and they are going to be major favorites in it. So you remember, it's not losing that gets you fired in the NFL. It's expectations and then losing is the uh, Jalen Rose who uh, roots for the national champions and up, up North, uh, you know, he played basketball for him. <laughs> if you remember him from basketball, but he always said yeah. expectations. So shall we uh, move on with the, uh, sir? Do you got any other last thoughts on the coaches? No, we got, uh, we got a lot of coaches that are going to be uh, changing seats over the next couple of weeks, but we will be keeping an eye on that for you. But we want to focus now again on our Midwest teams because we've got a lot to talk about. The season ended last week for uh, a number of these squads, so we're going to discuss that. We're going to discuss the playoffs. Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com if you want to get a hold of us. Midwest Football Podcast at gmail.com. But we're going to start with the first game of the week, the 415 tilt, the uh, Steelers at the Ravens. This was just a miserable weather game. Like, it looked like the setting for power wash at the car wash, the drive through car washes. This game was going on. Nobody came out dry. I got to hand it to the Baltimore fans because they showed up in a game that meant 
almost nothing to their team and watch the Steelers steal a playoff spot from them by the win and the help that they needed. So did you hear the conspiracy theory of this game? What's that? The uh, head, uh, the officials that botched the uh, Lions uh, Cowboys game was the officiating crew of this one. So there's a there's a joke slash rumor that they put them out in the rain and the cold to get them all the pneumonia so that they won't be available to uh, ref the playoffs next week <laughs> as punishment. <laughs> well, I doubt it. I mean, re- really, these uh, in season game assignments are set weeks, if not months, in advance, but. We've probably seen the last of that officiating crew for the season because so, they are bad. Mm-hmm. So I got to give it hand hand uh, hand it to the Steelers. Remember, three weeks ago they were seven and seven, and people didn't think they would get to five hundred and preserve Mike Tomlin's record. They brought in Mason Rudolph off the top ropes. He goes three and zero, including on the road to Seattle and on the road to Baltimore, which are two of the hardest t- places to play, as we've talked about. Um, now, granted. The Ravens were playing backup, so it is what it is, but the Steelers were also running a third-string quarterback. (laughs) Right, who maybe should be at least second-string and possibly first on this team. I'm going to say definitely second-string over Trubisky. (laughs) We could talk more about Pickett versus Rudolph in the offseason. Moving on from Trubisky would be addition by subtraction. Yes, just save calorie salary cap space so you can spend it somewhere else like the offensive line or <laughs> yeah because they still need it offensive line uh is definitely still the weakness of this uh mm-hmm. Steelers team but that just begs the question okay the Steelers are going to be at the uh Bills this weekend we're going to talk more about that game in particular so I want to keep this generalized like as far as in terms of making a deep playoff run, just how big of a shot do you think the Steelers have here? Mm. I'm going to say low, but it's I think it's better than most people give it credit for because they people just look at it and they go, they're the only team with a negative scoring differential. That means the other teams have scored more against them than they've scored, which is actually pretty hard to do when you are three games over 500. But... I've seen teams like this, they're scrappy. They play good defense, they ugly up the games, and they win close games. And then occasionally they lay an egg and get blown out. But teams like this can win a couple close games before, you know, running into a juggernaut. So I I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, they're a cold-weather team. They could go to Buffalo. They could go to Baltimore. They could go to Cleveland. You know, they're familiar with most of these teams. They could go to Kansas City. In fact, most of these AFC playoff games are going to be outdoors in cold weather. Not That's just who's made the playoffs this year. Yeah. Yep. I'm I'm with you. The Steelers may be uh the, the final seed here. They may be the seventh seed, but I don't think anybody's really looking forward to playing them. There are a ton of really good AFC quarterbacks, and some of them even made the playoffs. But <laughs> mm-hmm. uh it remains to be seen if Mason Rudolph is one of them. Well, and I think as we touched on it last week is he was one of those high talented guys that was a raw uh, quarterback prospect where, and for those who don't understand, know what I'm talking about last week is basically they have all the physical tools as a first round pick, 
they're just they're just not as good as reading the defense because maybe they haven't had as many reps or something like that in playoffs. And if he can actually live up to what people think he could be, which is very rare for the record when I hear these toolsy guys going in the third, fourth round, they rarely pan out. But when they do, you get guys like Dak Prescott and stuff. And, you know, I'm not saying that that's what Mason Rudolph is. He has yet to turn into a pumpkin after three games, but he still might. I'm more comfortable with someone like Joe Flacco, the veteran, but, you know, if he has poise, he could pull off a couple upsets, you know? So I think that's what's going to be because Steelers have a really good defense and they have good skill position players when they're not fighting each other. They're pretty good. Yeah. Realistically, the Steelers defense is probably better than any AFC team, not named the Ravens or Browns. Mm -hmm. And that's not a diss at the chiefs either. Who are, who have an excellent defense. Yeah. Agreed. Next game, the Saturday evening game was absolutely a thriller this was such a a wild game to watch it kind of was not the most exciting game to watch in places because the Colts got super duper conservative in a number of places more on that in just a moment but let's talk about the how the Texans came back and stole a division from the Indianapolis Colts first of all props to the Texans uh I believe absolutely they played a great game first first season head coach rookie quarterback turned it around from a team that literally had the 101 pick until lovey won their way down to two for chicago that's incredible the turnaround they've had in one offseason but i'm gonna focus on the colts for a little bit because this was a very winnable game and the colts also should be proud of themselves because they were the number four overall pick and they turned their season around without that guy um but it kind right. of you know so this is incredible that these two teams, what they did this year, they were bottom four teams and they were both in the playoff hunt as of week 18. Exactly. This is a tale of one team that is way over expectations for their rebuild and another team who is hilariously, gigantically over expectations for year one of their rebuild. Mm-hmm. And Really, the game come da- came down to the wire, and this is a this is a debate we could possibly have. So the last play of the game, offensive play for the Colts, came down to a fourth down play where they called a timeout and they took Jonathan Taylor, who had been averaging like nine, I feel like it was nine yards of carries, like eight or something like that. And they put in um, a third string quarter running back. I guess he was the uh, pass catcher, but he had only had six catches all year and only one target in that game. So he came in off the bench, basically ice cold. They ran the play. It was a good play. He was open. Minshew threw a little bit behind him. He wasn't able to reel it in. I think if that was thrown to someone like Josh Downs, he would have caught it. So, Me, I don't question the play call or going for it. I question who they brought in. I think it's kind of disrespectful to your team that's, you know, has this division on the line to have a third stringer that basically eats up the 50th spot on the uh, roster decide the game and the division and the season. Now, I'm not trying to knock, I think it's Goodson. I mean, props to him. I think the coaches saw something in him that earned that play, but. I, I just I just think it's too much to be asking a player like that on when with the season on the line, not just the game, not to be hyperbolic, but I mean that was a huge moment. I don't know if you have any thoughts on it that. It was fourth down. Yeah, I'm pretty much with you. Um you got the ball at the end of the day, the ball hit him in both hands. So you expect him to make the catch and he expects to make the catch. I mean, there have been a whole bunch of posts on his social media that he's really tore up about the play and you feel for him. Mm-hmm. So I don't want to, so, wanna, so th- I want to make it clear that I am not piling on. 
sorry, Tyler Goodson. Tyler Goodson, yeah. It also could have been a much better throw because it the the two hands were down at like his knee bending backward. And that's why I said a receiver coming out of the backfield like Josh Downs, who they've done it, would have been a better option because he has the ability to make those adjustments. I don't think most running backs would have caught that. I don't Zach Moss or Jonathan Taylor, I don't know if they bring that in either. Fair enough. Yeah, and I'm I would have to agree because it was not a good throw. You want that kind of up and away so you're leading him mm-hmm. towards the sideline or wherever and it ended up short and low yeah. and, and that's the knock on Minshew he's not the most accurate quarterback which is why he can be erratic that's which is why he's the backup quarterback let's let's be honest very good backup um, quarterback, but he's a backup it was the right call it was the right Great play, play just question the but, personnel yeah but let's get let's get real here. Shane Steichen is also a huge part of the success for the team this year. They showed he was the right hire. Mm-hmm. Um, as they continue to build this team and this roster, he's only going to get better. Basically, unless the Anthony Richardson ends up with just stinking out the place, that's the only way this oh, blows it's a possibility. up. But so far, what we saw is Richardson wow. was pretty fun to watch and. Looks like Steichen did a good job getting the best season out of Minshew. I mean, he basically oh, played yeah. this entire season with backups at quarterback and running back. It's more on the Browns later, <laughs> you know, and was one week short of uh, winning the division. So hats to hats to the Colts. Hats hats off to Shane Steichen. Uh, the future looks thirty times brighter than it did this time a year ago when they were, you know, one of the worst teams in the NFL. Yeah, and when I mentioned a couple weeks ago, the Colts are actually in pretty good shape in the positions that you have to draft highly. They've got young tackles. Maybe they could be better, but they've got young tackles. They've got their young quarterback. They've got a pass rush. They're going to be okay. This is not – I mean, as much as it, I'm sure it hurt for Colts fans to lose this game, especially the way they did it, the future is bright here, and we want to make sure that everybody – in the Midwest, all the Midwestlanders see that. Agreed. Moving on to the Sunday game, we've got a two for the Browns and Bengals. We're not going to talk too much about this game in general because the Browns sat everybody on the team that you've ever heard of, um, including the Bernie Kosar, LeBron James, and everybody else. So the Bengals did end up winning, which kind of screwed up the Bengals draft position. Um, More on that in a second. Yeah. Well, more on that right now. How about let's uh, let's talk about what this is going to look like uh, for the Bengals in the offseason before we get to. uh, Well, the Browns were basically going to skip because they intentionally didn't give us anything to work with here. I just want to add really quick. I believe Flacco is the fourth string quarterback and they were on their fifth string quarterback. That's all you need to know. Jeff Driscoll looked like it when he was playing for them. So yeah, yeah. On, on the, on the Bengals. Um, yeah. So they are the drafting last amongst 18 teams that did not make the playoffs at nine and eight. There was a five-way tie of those teams. We're not yeah. counting the bat, the bays that made the playoffs, Tampa and green Bay. So 
if they had lost that game, they would have had at least gone from 18 to 14 draft position um, and potentially up to 12, if, depending on the tiebreakers with Denver and Vegas. So that was kind of a costly win. Um, and But you don't blame it because Joe and I were talking about this in our pre-pod was coaches have a way of getting fired for seasons like this where they say, oh, you know, he had a losing season versus a winning season. That, that stuff matters. Like, um, I don't want to talk too much about the Bears yet, but like the last five years of Lovey Smith, he's famously fired after going 10 and six. But the big narrative of people who were, who were for the firing was he made the playoffs once in the last five years. But then you look at his records, he had three winning records <laughs> and uh, his two other seasons were seven and nine. So they weren't bad, but they were bad enough to say he's only made the playoffs once. So if you're the coach um, of the Bengals, you want you don't want that losing record on your season. You want to have the nine and eight team or season over the eight and nine. These yeah, that's being fair. Down here, you know, and I think that's what comes down to. That's unfortunate, but. You know, like okay. a whole lot of jobs out there, CYA starts to come into play. You got to cover yourself. Exactly, and and I think the general norm nowadays is, uh, you know, and a fantasy football tank, tank, tank. Unless you win the championship, I think uh, basketball kind of got this in, and I think that people forget when they have that mentality that if you lose and tank, people you know hold it against you and you lose your job, and you're tanking to help someone else replace place you. <laughs> you know, you don't help yourself. So I don't blame the coach and the Bengals for winning, but I also agree with you. The Bengals, as as Joe said last week, his prediction correct prediction the Bengals are dumb enough to ruin their own draft positioning this is where the gm or owner has to step in and just say you know what the season's a wash we're evaluating the young talent instead of trying to win it right but i mean but again what causes people to get fired in in pro sports expectations Mm -hmm. what were the expectations for the Bengals going into the season super bowl or bust what happened everybody got hurt Exactly. And I think that this is one of those things where the expectations lowered through the floor when Joe Burrow was out for the second time this season, uh, second major injury this season, I should say. And I think what helped them out is Browning did well. So I think that they won more games than expected. They actually, they, they ironically, they were disappointing as a whole, not making the playoffs. But after the Burrow injury, they exceeded expectations. And I think that's what's helping them move forward, you know. Yeah, probably. They at least found a a legitimate backup quarterback. Yes. And moving forward, they have an interesting offseason. We touched on it last last week. What do you think the Bengals should do moving forward to get back into that Super Bowl form where they were in back-to-back AFC title games the previous two years? It's not it's really not complicated despite what a lot of people want to make you think. More of the good stuff, less of the bad stuff. So you want you want to keep as many players that are difference makers as you can, as long as you can get them back for a halfway reasonable price. So I would want T. Higgins back, especially okay. after that toughness that he showed in Kansas City the other week. I that that really impressed me, where he went out to try and save the playoff hopes on an injured hamstring. Mm-hmm. So. That's the guy that I want to reward if I possibly can, especially since he also has talent. Agreed. His price tag has to be uh, affordable to the point where you can justify bringing him back in for the production that you expect to get. Mm-hmm. Uh, but 
the NFL has shown time and again that the salary cap is a joke anyway, and teams can print money if they have to. So I'm not going to quibble over a million bucks or two there. I'm going to start having a problem if he comes in and wants to be paid 25, 30 million more or because that's going to make it harder to do Jamar Chase and keep him long term. Mm hmm. Yeah, I think $20 million is uh, reasonable per year. And as we, we touched, uh, for those who didn't listen last week, um, Mixon and uh, Tyler Boyd are both kind of getting long in the tooth. They're not as productive as they were a couple of years ago, and they are both $10 million plus on the cap. So letting those guys go for, you know, new talent would uh, clear that cap space, at least in the near, short term. And I, I think that the Bengals remind me a little bit of uh, Golden State, where if you can keep your core together, this is a basketball reference, the Splash Brothers plus Draymond when he's not being crazy. Um, if you can keep T. Higgins together with Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow, you will always have a chance to win 10 games and make the playoffs and be a, and be a factor. And then it's just a matter of how many other toys are around him. Exactly. Can you find some discounts and deals and steals in the draft on defense and offensive line and running back, et cetera. But you have, you press your advantage. You have a huge advantage at that position and you don't need to be elite talent. You just need good talent or, you know. Yeah. I also want to remind Bengals fans that they went out about two years ago and blew huge on offensive line that did not pan out and in the next year or two those are also going to be coming off the books yes so they can reset that and give that extra cap space so despite the big money being owed to burrow chase and potentially higgins they will have a lot of cap space to mold the rest of the roster right especially because they're at least a couple years away from a big payday for anybody on the defense the defense needs the reinforcements and the work this coming off season Mm-hmm. Agreed. The Browns sat everybody. We're not going to talk about them very much here. We'll save that for the playoff preview. Agreed. On to the Vikings at the Lions, which was kind of a scary game for Lions fans because they kept uh, getting guys hurt, honestly, in a game that they had very, very little chance of gaining anything from winning. In fact, with Dallas won later, that pretty well slammed the door on that. But before we get to the Lions, which I have cooled off considerably uh, in terms of my temper since uh, we spoke as it was happening, the uh, let's talk a little bit about the Vikings here. Uh, this is a team that really looked like it fell apart at the end with, I don't know if it was mismanagement of the quarterback position from the coaching side the gm side or both or neither but it did not work over the last five six games of the year i mean for the record they lost four straight to end the season which is the third longest losing streak behind only washington and the chargers at eight and five respectively so that is not a good way to end the season um when you were at 1.7 and six and in control of your own playoff destiny um and i know that they were winning a lot of games as backup quarterbacks before that, but Josh Dobbs, Dobbs sanity was going great. And then he had one stinker against Chicago and they just benched him. And then they pushed him out of the four string. And then they started playing around with Nick Mullins and Jaron Hall. And I, I don't know. I feel like Dobbs with how he played in Arizona and how he played with very little practice and knowledge of the playbook in Minnesota. 
I think they might have won another game or two and possibly stolen that spot playoff spot from Green Bay if they stuck with him and let him and coached him up. You know, this is a guy who doesn't get to practice. Yeah, that uh, could be, although he was not good in at least one of those wins. So he was kind of trending wrong direction anyway. That's fair. But, but um, you know, it is po- we do know that Mullins is you know, he's got the arm, but he needs to not throw turnovers, which he didn't. He was not able to achieve that until the first half against the Lions the second time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the other guys were just not not good. So moving forward onto the postmortem on the Vikings this is a complicated team because uh, in a vacuum, they're kind of similar to Cincinnati where they have good receivers and quarterback play and a lot of turmoil. I don't feel, I feel like they're much in a, in a much worse position despite Justin Jefferson and Jordan Addison, who he, he dropped a couple big ones in the last couple of weeks uh, himself. He showed his rookiness off, although he's shown really good flashes, but he's not T Higgins or Jamar chase level at this point, despite Jefferson being that um, they lost TJ Hawkinson major injury. Who knows if he'll be the same. I I'm going to assume he will be back because we've seen that more and more with ACLs. Um, but they have a lot of work to do. They were right to move on from Delvin Cook. We saw him turn into a pumpkin. They should have moved on from Alexander Madison faster. Ty Chandler showed flashes. I don't know if he's going to be the answer, but I don't know. What do you do about their defense? Do you? Oh, before we get to that, do you bring back Kirk Cousins? And do you think the rotating backup quarterbacks has changed the GM's mind about wanting a quarterback on a rookie contract? Because remember, he said the quiet part out loud in the offseason about his desire for a rookie contract quarterback. Um, I'm going to be honest. I am not the biggest fan of this GM. I'm not the biggest fan of the way they're building the team. I'm not even the biggest fan of this coach because if you look at it, the, uh, offensive line, I'll get to this in just a minute, but Mm -hmm. the running game started to pick up in spots at the end of the year, which happened to coincide to when the, right guard that they wanted to play the starter got hurt and then they put the backup in who was a more balanced player their initial starter is a almost pure pass blocker so all of a sudden when i think it was riley reef came in or as the right tackle or something like that they could run the ball yeah and then that lasted until he got hurt in the lions game and then that shut that down and made it one-dimensional again so this is kind of telling me that the entire team for Minnesota is based on analytics, like the pro football focus model, which values and some might say overvalues pass blocking Mm -hmm. and the passing game to the detriment of the run game. And the coach seems to fall right along with that mentality there. This is a team that gives up way too early on the run, way too early on the run. And this is the part where I, the advanced metrics aren't as advanced because it's 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 just a tool to use. The the problem is people like this they don't understand it. And it's like when I hear NBA stuff uh, when they go three points is worth more than two, therefore you should only take three pointers. And it's like, well, if they're open, <laughs> but there's still something to getting to the net and getting higher percentage shots. And I feel like that's what's happening with the NFL right now. Is someone goes, well, if you pass the ball, you get eight yards per attempt versus four yards per carry or whatever but not realizing that they're synergistic, that a threat of a run opens up 
more efficient passing and vice versa. Yeah. So if you go yeah. all pass and you telegraph what you're doing, the defense, you, you will have hard, harder time passing. And, and I think that's what you're getting at. Yeah. Well, there's secondary specifically to what you're saying. There's secondary unintentional side effects too. If everybody wants to throw the ball all the time, everybody wants to run tempo when they start having a little bit of offensive success and try and keep the other team off balance. So you get teams that want to run 70, 80 plays. Here's the problem with that. That's 70 to 80 chances of injury for every single offensive player on your team. The reason that in the 80s and 90s that teams didn't pass 50, 60 times a game was because especially this was before a lot of rules that protected quarterbacks came in, your quarterback would be killed. Mm-hmm. And every in every time you throw an incomplete pass, it stops the clock and buys more plays for people to get injured. <laughs> right. It's to your point. And- you ne- yeah, well, there's I mean, there it's, I know it's high school and there's no comparison, but my uh, old high school coach used to say, never go one more play in football with the kind of conviction that makes you believe that once he was involved in a team that did and something catastrophic happened. Mm. Well, focusing on the GM and coaching staff, I I agree. I'm not super confident in them because last year they were new. That's the time to tear down a roster and rebuild it in your image. They did not. They tried to keep the status quo of the roughly 500 team. And then they won a bunch of close games, won 13 games. Although if you remember all, they were all hated on because they just won a bunch of close games and they were technically by all metrics, a 500 team that got lucky. Um, Then now you can't blow it up. You can't rebuild the roster in the way you want to, because you've won too many games, which is a weird thing to say. So bear with me. But now the roster is what we thought it was. And now they don't have the ability to rebuild on the fly. So there's not going to be – if you if you rebuild your team in year one, you have a lot more leeway than if you tear it down year three and try to rebuild on the fly. And that might be what's going on right now because Kirk Cousins is injured. Do they move on from him? Or do they try to run it back and preserve mediocrity? Because they have a lot of holes. This is a team that really I think should be tearing it down. Um, I think at this point – they should try to get younger. They should move on assets. Justin Jefferson and their and, and Addison are young enough to be around. But I think at this point, with what we saw from Jaron Hall, Nick Mullins, and Josh Dobbs, I think they are going to have to pay Kirk Cousins to save face and not lose their jobs next year as the coach and GM. What's your take yeah. on that? I, I I think you nailed it at the end there. The only they found out for sure that the only person on this roster that they are comfortable with playing quarterback that can actually win games, both of those is Kirk Cousins. Mm-hmm. So if if they move on from him, and I think it's probably more likely that they do than they don't, mm-hmm. then they absolutely have to get the quarterback pick right. You know what this reminds me of? They're picking at number eleven right now. And this reminds me very much of how Chicago was picking around that spot with Justin Fields. And they were on the end of their GM slash coaching run. If you remember, they cleared the house the next year and basically wasted Justin Fields' rookie season. And I could 100% see that happening where uh, this is a deep quarterback draft class, which we'll talk about more in the offseason. So there's a good chance one of these five or six guys is available at 11 without trading up, but they might trade up a couple slots like the Bears did and then 
torpedo their future <laughs> to get this guy and then they'll be gone in in two years and then one more thing i want to add on the coaching staff and the post-mortem is i was always a fan of brian go ahead go ahead brian flores at the defensive coordinator and i think they did a lot with a little but you started to see i'm just going to quote the two lions games um a week uh 16 and 18 where flores i think kind of got exposed as a one-trick pony because he leads the league in blitz rate and Jared Goff is way better against the blitz as most veterans are than he is against zones. And he tore them up two weeks ago. And the way Brian Flores responded was he blitzed Goff more. Goff completed 20 plus passes in 30 blitz attempts. <laughs> That's not pass attempts. He didn't, it wasn't 31 pass attempts they did this on it was 31 passes where the vikings were blitzing him and he just tore him up so if your response is i only know how to blitz and we lost and we got shredded last time we played him so let's do more blitzes that's not good coaching in my opinion he doesn't know how to pivot to uh what might actually matter from game to game in my opinion and i think that's where when he was defensive coordinator on belichick maybe belichick would steer him in that direction um, to be fair, though, Flores also leads the league in false blitzes, you know, where you show blitz and then bail out of it. Mm-hmm. So it, which itself ha- can sometimes have a powerful effect of getting quarterback with, with happy feet. Calm. Um, and yes, Jared Goff has. I think he has a league high completion percentage and yardage mm-hmm. for against the blitz. But it's also because, and as a Lions fan, I've seen this all year, he recognizes the blitz and immediately turns and fires to his dump-off guy who might get two yards on third and eight. Mm-hmm. So even though it was ended up a completion and even though it ended up positive yards for the Lions, it's still a win for the defense. So if I was going to evaluate Flores in, in that light, I would want to see a more... Uh, gradiated uh evaluation more than just the one stat there i don't know but i hear i hear what you're, you're gi- saying you're giving up 30 points to the team back to back without really making any adjustments between you know playing them two weeks in a row or two out of three weeks to me that's concerning um maybe i don't think it's a fireball offense or anything but i do think it's concerning it shows one trip pony and i understand what you're talking about as a high level with blitzing and, and making him get rid of the ball quickly on third and long um, I don't know if that really affected it when, I mean, maybe if you think holding a team to 30 points is good defense, I don't look, there's plenty of times when a guy can get burned by a blitz and that absolutely happened at times because it only takes one burn on a blitz to give up seven points, but we're talking about large numbers of blitzes in order, maybe too many. That is a fair complaint, but at the same time, we also have to recognize that it led to a lot of wins with a very, very poorly built back end on that defense that might not have happened otherwise. Sure, they gave up 30. They might have given up 50 if they hadn't. So let's call it the way it is, all right? On to the Lions, speaking of things that need to be called the way they are, then we have the Lions who came out to play in a game that could only improve their seed if they won, and both Dallas lost at Washington and Philadelphia lost at the Giants, both of those two games coming in the next time slot so they would have absolutely no knowledge. 
And of course, Dan Campbell being Dan Campbell went all out in this game to which, which was stopped at least six times for lions that people had heard of down on the field, clutching various body parts. And I don't mean recreationally. I get that you can't coach scared. I get that you have to play somebody. Those somebody should not have included Amon Ross St. Brown and Sam Laporta, both of whom picked up new injuries in this game. Because those are people that you are not going to replace if they get hurt. Now, it looks like Amon Ross St. Brown, who is tougher than you know, 50-year-old shoe leather, he's going to play on some pretty busted-up ribs. He can, he came back into the game and broke a long touchdown. He had like a 70-yard touchdown reception after he got lit up in the ribs. So I'm not exactly worried about him, but you have to recognize the way the game is going and maybe start hedging the bet on some of your better players. Sam Laporta's his knee buckled sideways. And it looks like it's being reported as a bone bruise and hyperextension. And they're saying he even has an outside shot to play in the playoff game. But we'll see about that. Do you believe that, that based on the way you saw it bend? The way that it bent. Look, it was it Stefania for ESPN, who's an Stefania actual. Stefania hmm? Bell, ESPN. Yeah. yeah. Injury expert. Yeah. Actual, actual physician, medical professional. Very good. Does She's a, very good. Yeah, she is best maybe part. the best content on ESPN. By far. I agree. So she looked at that and. I don't remember exactly what her tweet said, but reading between the lines, it was basically when I see bend like this in a knee, I am shocked if it is not major ligament damage. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So is he going to play? I would be shocked because we've had former NFL players on the radio here in Detroit that have had bone bruises and say, look, that's a month injury. That is, or it is just extremely painful. So, yeah, he might play because it's the playoffs, and that's the culture of this team. You got to give Dan Campbell credit that this team never stops fighting, never stops grinding, always gives you know, the kind of effort that dispels stereotypes about pro athletes. But it's another question to say: Is he really going to be effective? And if you subtract Sam Laporta as a pass catching and blocking tight end from this offense, how much are we losing? Mm-hmm. Especially when you look back on who is your wide receiver two option when it's not behind St. Brown, it's been Laporta all year. So someone else is going to have to step up. We're not saying that won't happen, but you know, it's, it's a little shakier when you get into the playoffs. Definitely. Um, I've, Come down off of this a little bit. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of people have been taking a lot of like Jimmy Johnson quotes out of context here in Detroit and trying to make arguments where he's basically saying, look, you have to be smart about who you're playing. You uh, the the uh, Troy Aikman stuff, you have to, you know, you usually have something to play for. But when you don't, you know, Emmett Smith and Michael Irvin didn't play in the last week of the season. Um, will it come back to hurt the Lions? I hope not. We'll see. I are they going to beat the Rams? I don't want to step on that segment, but that's that's going to be the million dollar question. 
look, a home playoff game, and I'm going to kind of pivot away from this sort of the Dan Gamble stuff that drives me crazy. But what does this home playoff game mean for Detroit? They haven't had a home playoff game in this stadium. They haven't had one in the city in, you know, since the 90s. Early 90s. Yeah, it's like 31, 32 years, I think. It's something like that, yeah. Moving on to the Bears and the Packers. This was just an incredibly disappointing way for the Bears to end the season with really a thud against the Packers. I was pretty surprised that the Bears just really never seemed to be in this game. Mm-hmm. It was a weird game. Um, it started off with Cairo um, Santos doinking in a field goal and then Anders Carlson missing one on the other end. So it felt like, despite not great play, it felt like, oh, maybe the tides are turning in this rivalry. Luck is going Chicago's way. But then it ended up just being a bunch of field goals. And um, it's it's weird to say, Matt, um, what's his name? Uh, the, the defensive coordinator, Barry, uh, actually seemed to have a good game plan for fields where – they blitzed five to occupy every offensive lineman, went man to man, and then had a spy uh, for field. So he had trouble running. And it was a pretty good strategy because it, it exposed the warts in the Bears offense where outside of DJ Moore, nobody could beat man to man on that team. And Cole Komet has been pretty good as a secondary pass catcher, but he is more of the typical tight end zone beater or a guy who uh, exploits the uh, play action by finding the middle of the zone when the linebackers creep up and he just slides in behind them. And I do think it's shown that the Bears really need a second passing option behind DJ Moore, as great of a season that was. And more concerning was they really need to uh, upgrade that interior of the offensive line. I saw most of those sacks were the center guards uh, collapsing right in Fields' face. Now, Getzies doesn't get off on this because there should have been an adjustment, in my opinion, of, hey, the interior on the line, you literally lost two of your starting interior three players. Uh, uh, Lucas Patrick was out before the game started. Another lineman, uh, Nate Davis, got injured early on. They should have been doing more rollouts to get fields in space and move them around so that the Packers pass rush couldn't just tee off on them right up the middle. Right, because even if you keep the running back in as a blocker, he's not necessarily going to be able to slow down and accidentally let in free defensive tackle. He's going to get you're going to he's going to end up with tire treads over his numbers. Yeah, and you saw some some like even Tevin Jenkins who's had a really good year. He's a better run blocker. He got whipped instantly on one of the sacks where like the the, the defensive tackle just went right just just knocked his hands out of the way and just sacked field in half a second yeah exactly it was, it was a matador block and, and this isn't a knock on tevin jenkins this was a bad play he's been he's had a very good year but the bears need some help on the interior line in general so um and, and the nice part is you can still use your two top 10 picks to get a receiver and a defensive end because they are tend to be harder, uh, higher expensive players. And interior offensive linemen, you find a lot more value in the second and third rounds or in free agency. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. Right to me, the another thing that jumped off at me was how really the Packers dominated both sides of the line of scrimmage and okay. used it to just bludgeon the, the Bears with a running game that has been very much asleep until very, very recently for the Packers. Well, the Bears suddenly couldn't stop the run. And I think you and I were texting during the game. 
that the Bears they kept talking about were the number one ranked run defense, and you would never know if you hadn't seen that if you if you'd just watched that game. Uh, Aaron Jones was gashing the Bears up front. I mean, the the Packers' offensive line dominated uh, from the start to finish, and it's just it's concerning when the Bears threw so much capital at linebacker and defensive tackle, and a lot of them were young. So you expect the defensive tackles to play better year week eighteen than earlier in the season. They've shown some flashes, but that was a concerning game for uh, the defensive front, in my opinion. Definitely. Uh, the big question, though, for the offseason for the Bears is what happens with Eberflus and especially what happens with Fields. Now, you raised a really good point when we were talking earlier that not only did the Bears trade get Fields on kind of a lame duck general manager and coach, mm-hmm. but they also traded a whole ton of assets to get him. So it's really only this year and maybe the end of last year where he started to get a a more complete team around him where it's even fair to judge him. I mean, even last year, they trade, they tore down guys. They got rid of Khalil Mack, Roshan Smith to get a couple extra seconds. They didn't even have a first, you know? So this year with DJ Moore was really their first, first round draft pick uh, in the fields era since Justin Fields. So they didn't really do a lot to help him because of that. And I think that, what what I've seen um, Ryan Poles do trading back and getting extra picks and doing a pretty good job collecting talent. I think that if they stick with a similar strategy as last year, trade back, get another pass catcher, get another lineman, get another first round for next year, just in case, um, you know, that's a good strategy in my opinion. And I saw like a lot of these quarterbacks coming out aren't much younger than Justin Fields, to be honest. Um, but the biggest complaint that I have when I see reset the rookie contract versus stick with Justin Fields is the short-sightedness of the fact that usually outside of CJ Stroud, it usually takes a year or two for the quarterback to develop, right? So if you do that, you have a team with a lot of good young players on offense and defense that are that were gelling in the second half of the run. Now, it's marred by the Packers' loss, but let's take it as an entirety, right? You're resetting the timeline on these guys. So now they're in their prime, ready to go make the playoffs, and now you got a rookie quarterback going through rookie quarterback teething, and it's going to set your time window back worse than you think. And I think the way Fields is playing now and developing, he is developing with the team, and they're developing at the same rate, and I think it's a better window. And uh, my friends will hate me for this because I say I, I make this rant all the time. So bear with me, people. This is not a Midwest thing, but – Years ago, Drew Brees, Philip Rivers, LaDainian Tomlinson, and Michael Turner, and I use own, were all on the same roster. And the GM had to make a decision. Do I go with the veteran quarterback and the veteran running back and try to win the Super Bowl now with Brees and Tomlinson? Or do I go with the young guys and try to extend the window? He did the opposite, where he took the young quarterback, Philip Rivers, who wasn't quite ready, and paired him with Ladanian Tomlinson, who was on the last couple of years of his prime. So if you go back and look at that, Philip Rivers was a game manager for a couple of years, basically wasted the last two years of Tomlinson's prime. So by the time Philip Rivers was doing well, Tomlinson was a shell of himself, and they never made a Super Bowl. And I could see the Bears doing something similar when you have a – an early prime semi-veteran roster. They are third youngest roster, but you reset that clock by going with the younger quarterback who's not ready. Quarterback NFL careers are short. 
So if you say, hey, Montez Sweat, you're going to be a playoff contender two years from now. Do you think they, that's not what TJ Edwards and these guys signed up for. They want to win now, you know? And I think I would rather, that's my case for sticking with fields yeah. and getting, and getting most you can out of one-on-one. Yeah. yeah. From a team building perspective, I completely agree with you, but I want to play devil's advocate for a minute. Good, good. What looking at fields, he has an extremely high sack rate. He has an extremely high pressure rate, which might have a lot to do with offensive line. But what if the problem is he's not seeing the field? Mm -hmm. What if the problem is he's a one-look quarterback or a one-look-and-go quarterback who locks onto one guy and just doesn't see the other guy open? Mm -hmm. First of all, how likely do you think that is that it could be true? So I, I think these are good questions because this is really the knock on fields because he can throw the best deep ball in the league with the best of them. He has what he's almost as he's as electric as uh, J- Lamar Jackson in his prime with the highlights. And I saw a lot of progress in maturity while checking down um, since the Tyson Bajan era. But we saw it in the Packers game. He took a lot of sacks. He was standing in the pocket. He did not have a feel for the pressure He what you know to bail out. And that's kind of the knock on him in college was he didn't get rid of the ball quickly. And we always blame the offensive line for pressures and sacks, but the quarterback is just as guilty in that because quarterbacks tend to hold the ball longer, invite the pressure. We saw it with Sam Howell in Washington. We see it with fields, et cetera. And the nice part is he doesn't throw, he doesn't create a lot of turnovers with this, but I agree. If he's not seeing the field well, and I saw this in person in week three when I was at the ta- or week two when I was at the Tampa game, where he had eight seconds to throw on one of my highlights and just took a sack. Um, yeah, you were steaming. Oh, I was mad. Like you got to check down faster or run. You have to make that decision. Even if you're just a one look and go guy, you have to go. There has to be a clock in his head, and that is the biggest concern that the Bears uh, are going to have to decide. If, if if he's year three and he still doesn't get it, he doesn't know to check, look for his number two guy, he's staring down someone, he doesn't know to run, that might not be coachable. That might not – he might never evolve from that. He might always have a high pressure rate no matter how good the offensive line is. So, so how likely do you think that is to be true? I would say before I saw Tyson Bajant play a month – I was very, very concerned. Um, the previous two week, two months, notwithstanding the Packers game, where it seems like he regressed, I thought he did a much better job using his running backs, using his tight ends, and getting rid of the ball and moving the chains instead of taking a sack. So Fair I've enough. seen the progress this year, and that's why I was sold on him. But before the Bajan era, I think I was ready to move on, even as a Bears homer and a Buckeye homer. But I like seeing progress, to be honest, more than just yeah. raw stats. With regardless, the stakes are incredibly high. Whatever the Bears do, they better be right, or everybody's getting fired, and this is all going back to square one again. If they if they don't get better at quarterback from where they are right now. Now that might be better from fields improving. That might be better from drafting somebody 101 who turns out to be the next big thing, which is harder than a lot of fans want to admit. But you miss on a quarterback and everybody gets fired. This is 
the bear, this administration shot to get the quarterback right. And they either will and the bears take the next step and become the lions this year or something akin, or they don't. And this team goes right back to circling the drain. Shifting over to the Packers though, I want to talk about them because they looked very more abound in November and early December. And then it's like something snapped over the last two, three games and they became one of the hottest teams in the NFL. Brian, what do you think changed during the hot streak that just kind of woke up the Packers? I'm going to go with twofold. I'm going to say, first of all, they lean more into Aaron Jones and I think I'm gonna I'm just gonna uh, steal your thunder and say something you said before. The young receivers started running better routes and getting on the same page as Jordan Love. I think that was a big um, turning point for them as the season went on. That ties into what we know about their defense too. Remember, this is a defense meant to pressure quarterbacks and get leads and allow the offense to pull away. This is a team that takes a 10-point lead and turns it into a blowout with this defense. Even after they traded the uh, cornerback for at the deadline for picks. Now, I'm not going to give everybody the genius points for Aaron Jones yet because this really only happened when Dylan got hurt. Mm. So it, it really just makes the coaches look that much sillier for continuing to stick with Dylan and not feature Jones for as long as they did when with this particular offensive line, he's definitely been the better running back. Go ahead. Uh, All the, on the Dylan point, I want to ask you a question. Who's the biggest, bigger disappointment of the current or former NFC North running backs, AJ Dylan, Alexander Madison, or Jamal Williams, who I forgot was in the league until he scored a touchdown in the last play of the game. And, sent Arthur Smith on a tirade. Well, both of them had plenty of warning signs, but the one that people actually expected stuff from was Madison. Agreed. Dylan, I think everybody kind of had the warning when last year, both of them, both Dylan and Jones were in contract years and they extended the older back Jones, including guaranteed money in year two. Good point. With So Dylan might find himself on a new team next year as an unrestricted free agent. Um, he, you know, he came out with all kinds of fanfare and, uh, and hype for a mid round running back. It probably would have been like a second. He was a second. Yeah. Which is very second high third round out of Boston college. Yeah. But just never lived up to it at the NFL level, which is just a different game. Um, uh, as far as Jamal goes, yeah, you, if, overall. if you had been paying attention, you knew the Lions were at minimum a top five offensive line last year. And power running backs, whether we like to admit it or not, need good offensive lines. They can, you know, at least in the modern NFL game, they can slam it in there with no hole and get two or three, but that's not sustainable that's not gonna move the chains you're looking for explosive plays in the modern nfl to justify not throwing a pass for five yards oh so what blows my mind speaking to these guys is 
Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams were the same draft class for the Packers. Um, because Aaron Jones or Jamal Williams is more of the, you know, three yards in the cloud dust guy. He's you see those guys uh, lose their legs faster. Whereas Aaron Jones is the get in space, catch the ball, you know, explosiveness. And it's, it's interesting because you've seen, you know, you, we didn't see that tail off with Aaron Jones this year, like we did with Jamal, but at the same time, Jamal Williams was always the three yard per carry guy, even in his younger years in, in green Bay. And in fact, it's kind of eerie that AJ Dillon basically was Jamal Williams after Jamal Williams left. So it's kind of interesting. They seem to have a type, but they haven't been great. You know, I mean, outside of Jamal Williams last year in Detroit, he hasn't been good, but um, yeah. So do you have anything else on the Packers? Were you impressed by Joe Barry's defensive call or were you? uh, I think it was much more along the lines of, the Bears were uniquely poorly suited to match up with what the Barry defense naturally wants to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, we had this conversation for the people listening as the announcers kept saying that Joe Barry completely changed the defense for the Bears. And um, I think you were like, no, they didn't. They, they, this is what they run. It just matched better. And I'm telling, I'm, I'm tending to more believe what you say than a random announcer <laughs> that uh, just oh, overpraises everybody playing. So, yeah, they've, they've always been a five man, a five down lineman defense. They've always had safeties back because they don't like giving up big plays. They've always been man. And all that man underneath, when you've got a really good quarterback that can, with, that can fire it in there with accuracy to good receivers that are man beaters. Yeah, with second in that intermediate options. place, you will chop up that defense. And just like we've seen the the Barry defense get hacked up for most of the second half of this year, mm-hmm. but the Bears because they really only had one receiver that can beat man coverage and he's a pure downfield threat. So he's running against into those one or two deep safeties. Now you've got a a much more difficult time for fields to drop back. And fields at his best is throwing the ball downfield. So like you said, they, that Barry likes to keep the safeties back and give up the underneath stuff and fields for all the praise I've given him the last two months about taking more check downs, did not seem to that that game. He seemed to want to win ev- the game on every throw and then just take a sack. Midwest football podcast at gmail.com. Let's f- change the focus here from the regular season into the postseason, where four of our Midwest teams, the Browns, Steelers, Packers, and Lions in the order in which they play are going to be appearing in the second season, the NFL tournament, the NFL playoffs. And we're going to start by, making our picks here. Normally we call this segment one more thing where we focus on one thing for each team, but we wanted to do just a little bit more for each of these games because they are playoff games and also because we don't have to do as many of them. So let's start with the Browns who open up the preseason at 4.30 on Saturday against the Texans. What? How do you see this game going? What do the Browns have to do to win? I think, first of all, the BCS committee voted the Browns out because they're playing a backup quarterback like Florida State, so therefore they don't have a chance. Oh, stop. <laughs> oh, wait, sorry, sorry. This is the NFL where they actually let you – You the, if you earn the game, they let yeah. you play. So yeah. um, Yes, this is not a sport where people's opinions actually matter. Yeah, exactly. So this is interesting because I think that um, the Browns – 
on the road in Houston still match up very well because they have a terrifying defense. And as good as CJ Stroud has been all year, he's still a rookie. And I think that Miles Garrett and his boys with, you know, like, you know, uh, Denzel Ward and the secondary can, uh, will have the horses to make CJ Stroud's life miserable. And I think Flacco can make enough plays and he's a veteran. I think he's going to bring a former Super Bowl champ. He's going to bring an era of calm that I do not have the same level of confidence in any of the backup quarterbacks playing based on his uh, still playing based on the, his previous accomplishments. Yeah. The Browns and Texans played in Houston late in the year, but that was part of the time that CJ Stroud was out with his concussion. So it's not really a fair uh, comparison. The Browns won that game easily, but the Texans have given up the big play all year long. That's the weakness of the Texans team, uh, that plus running the football. So the Browns have, as long as they don't get beat over the top too many times, have an excellent chance for Flacco to put up some big game and look for Amari Cooper to really shine out in this in this one. I do think the Browns are going to win here. Agreed. The only devil's advocate would be that the Browns have lost a couple offensive tackles and the best player on the Texans on defense is Will Anderson, the other rookie they took in the top three. And if he can yeah. make Joe Flacco's life miserable and get him to create uh, two or three turnovers or sorry, three or four turnovers instead of one or two, um, that could be the Texans chance, especially if CJ Stroud takes another level. But I'm going to take the Browns. I think I, I think when we talked about this game, we weren't sure about the status of C.J. Stroud. And I think my take was whether it's a backup quarterback or a rookie quarterback, the Browns defense will make his life miserable. So I'm taking the Browns either way, and I'm sticking with that. Yeah, this is going to be the best defense that C.J. Stroud's seen all year. Uh, really quickly, for those of you who may be first-time listeners, our picks are straight up. We don't do against the spread. So we're just you know picking who we think is going to win based on what we see on the field. We're not trying to guess by how much. And I think a lot of times when you see two teams play each other late in the season and then rematch, it's good for the team that lost because they can make adjustments. But in my case, in this case, I think it's a disservice to Houston because if CJ Stroud got to go against this Browns defense, see the speed and ferocity that they play, it'd be easier for him to adjust in their second game. But this will be his first time seeing it in person. So I think you throw that game out. They're not going to, it's going to be harder for Houston to adjust to this defense than it could have been if Stroud was playing in the first game. And that's unfortunate for the Texans. It's going to help the coaches more. And I think that, I think that the Texans have had one of the best coaching jobs in the NFL by far. That's the only way that the Browns lose this game is if the protection breaks down and they get out coached. Yeah. On to the Sunday games, all three of which involve Midwest teams. We'll start with the early game. The Steelers, who made the playoffs, get to travel up Lake Erie and take on the Bills. Besides being cold, how would you describe the way this game's likely to go? Ooh, well, this is an interesting one because the Steelers' defense is similar to the Browns, not quite as good on the back end. But they're going against a veteran, Josh Allen, who he's known to put the ball in the hands of the defense, but he also recovers from the mixed plays. So I think it's a tougher matchup for the Steelers, and I'm not sure – as good as Mason Rudolph has played as, as a backup quarterback like Flacco. And he's done similar. He's opened up the passing game, he's, which has opened up the running game uh, like a veteran. 
but it's just like it's to me it's like everything about the Steelers is a slightly diminished version of the Browns and everything about the Bills is like a slightly better version of the Texans so I think this is a much more exciting game in my opinion on paper um also random aside the Steelers are the seventh seed they're one game behind the Bills who are at second seed so I don't think you could really put too much in the seeding in the AFC because everybody's just kind of lumped together after you know this after the first seed so what, what's your take on this? Do you think I'm sniffing up the right tree or I'm off on the assessment? Yeah, I think the Bills are favored for a reason, and I think home field matters. The mm. Steelers, though, are very capable of winning this game. Both of them, what both of these two teams have in common is an incredible positive transformation in the second half of the year. Mm. The Steelers reinvented their offense, and even though they flailed with Trubisky, you have to admit that per play, per game, all of their offensive numbers are way better in the second half once they moved on from Canada, the offensive coordinator. The Bills did the similar kind of thing on the defensive side, where they have very quietly cobbled together a legitimate top 10 defense in out of what was looking to be a well-below-average unit. They're not. This is, an, this is two teams with excellent defenses but the Bills' offense has been much more legit, especially as they've kind of gone away from making Stefan Diggs the center of everything and let Allen become a more legitimate ball distributor. It's made him a better quarterback. Yeah, and I, I just want to add, I, I'm going to go as far to say this might be the game of the week, uh, at least in the AFC. I know the Taylor Swift Dolphins game is going to get all the press, but you have two teams going in the right direction. So the Steelers have won three straight. They were against Bengals and Seahawks, arguably knocked both of them out of playoffs. And then the, you know, the Ravens, this, the uh, Bills winning streak is five. They beat the Chiefs, the Cowboys, any of the Dolphins and those three of those wins. So they've had some really quality wins going forward. And I think that the other thing you kind of touched on is, you know, both Pittsburgh and Cleveland are going on the road. Pittsburgh is traveling less distance, but the Bills have generations of fans and they are going to be rabid. These guys get drunk and throw themselves through, you know, folding tables in the parking lot. I don't think the Texans fan base. And and by the way, that is, by the way, that is not hyperbole. And that is not a one-off. That is like one of their traditions. Yes. They are literally diving through tables in the parking lot. As part of their pregame fire up, the Bills fans are arguably the reason why they won the division because they went and took over Miami in what was effectively a playoff game. Mm -hmm. So they are very that is a that is a scarier place to play. No disrespect to the Texans fans, but it is a much tougher road game than you're going to see a lot of Cleveland fans in Houston this weekend. You will not see the Packers Steelers fans squeeze their way into Buffalo because Buffalo will hold their own despite the Steelers yeah. being a really good traveling road team. So I maybe I'm the gonna, best traveling road team. But yeah, yeah, the Bills are just are one of those places that are normally, you know, impregnable. Yeah. So as great as the Steelers are, I'm still gonna I'm gonna take the Bills uh to win this game. Yeah, I really want to take the Steelers, but I just I just can't. The way the Steelers win this game is they do stuff offensively that takes the Bills by surprise, that they just haven't had enough tape on Mason Rudolph yet to see to take away what he does best. Mm-hmm. I do think the Bills have 
more well-rounded talent. They've got the better quarterback. They've got the better top receiver. They've got the better offensive line. The defense, is, the Steelers don't have the better defense, but I think especially if Watt doesn't play, because I want to mention this, that he did Big mess up his knee. Is, if Watt doesn't play, the Bills win this game possibly convincingly. And I want but to if he does, then this is a very close game, but I still have to take the Bills. And I want to add, even if TJ Watt plays, he might be diminished. He might not be the TJ Watt that is a you know defensive player of the year caliber player every year. So I'm with you. Yep. The Packers at Cowboys play at 430. So nationally, a lot of folks are not giving the Packers a chance in this game, even though the Cowboys have a legendary history of epic failure at the divisional round of the playoffs over the last 20 years. Unless, of course, the curse of uh, Jimmy Johnson is broken. What do you think is going to happen here, Brian? This is a tougher one. Um, this is interesting because as we get to the NFC, we see a much bigger divergence in record. Where we're talking about nine and eight team versus twelve and five team, which is what you'd expect from a two versus seven seed matchup. Um, it is on the road in Dallas. I think they have a better home field advantage than Houston does down the road. But in in, in like Pittsburgh. Packers fans will travel, but they might be blocked out. This is a good old-fashioned rivalry from the mid-90s from uh, guys, Gen Xers like us. And I think it would be interesting because um, the Cowboys have a really good defense, especially with their pass rush. And it's going to be one of those things, can they get to Jordan Love or will he look comfortable like he did last week against Chicago? Um, I think that on the flip side, Dak has been playing very well. They don't have... Tony Pollard has not been, but they've been winning regardless. Um, and I know the Cowboys choke, but I think they're going to make it out of this round. I think that they are a, a veteran team that's been in the playoffs a lot. The Packers are the youngest roster in the NFL. So even making it to the playoffs, even if they lose on the road, I think it's still a massive win for them this year. The Packers got Jaden Reed back for the week 18 game, which I thought was huge because that's this that gives the speed and downfield aspect to their offense that they absolutely need. Uh, a lot of this game is going to come down to how does Jordan Love handle the pressure that's going to come at him from Micah Parsons and the stars that are on the Dallas Cowboys. I'm not talking about the helmets. I'm talking about their paydays. Uh but you can run on the Cowboys. The Lions didn't because they got behind. The Commanders didn't because they never had a chance. The Packers, though, have a defense that takes away a lot of what the Cowboys do best, which is a downfield to intermediate passing game. Will Dak Prescott be able to pick them apart with underneath? I don't know. Will... Jordan Love be able to balance run and pass to to go downfield and put some scores up on the Cowboys as Dak possibly self-destructs in the playoffs again? I don't know. I think this is a much closer game than the national people are giving credit for, but I'm going to take the Packers here with the upset. I'm looking at their schedules, and to be honest, uh, Mid-season, the Packers had some wins against the uh, the Rams, the the Lions, and the Chiefs, which are more impressive than most of the Dallas Cowboys wins. But I'm still going to stick with the yeah. Cowboys too. The uh, Cowboys, the yeah, the Cowboys are have a they have a great team. This is no disrespect. They and they've got their like Miami by doing bad things to bad teams. 
Lastly, the Sunday night game, the one that uh, the NFL will win the Oscar for Best Adapted Screenplay for, the Rams at the Lions. We have Matt Stafford coming in, coming back to the den to take on the team that he spent the first 12 years of his career with. And he gets to wave his Super Bowl ring around in the in the process. Even the people who are who supported Matt Stafford when he was in Detroit and felt like or sorry, when he was in L.A. and felt like his Super Bowl win was partly a Detroit win. That was you know they're not saying let's root for the Rams here. Everybody wants to see a Matt Stafford shaped crater in the middle of Ford Field. That's just what is what we but that's what we want to see happen. Brian, what do you think is actually going to happen? So. Stafford got his Super Bowl ring. The Lions did him right. I don't think they owe him anything more. You know, this is to me, it's the other side of the ball. This is a Jared Goff revenge game. Jared Goff took the Rams to the Super Bowl and then McVay threw him under the bus. He didn't think he could throw it on the field. And he actively got rid of him for to bring in Matt Stafford and then was rewarded with the Super Bowl. So I guarantee you, Jared Goff is fuming. And well, I'll be curious to see. Um, if McVay can expose the Jared Goff limitations that caused him to throw him under the bus and dump him after signing him to a massive extension. And I just think it's interesting too, because beyond the golf and the X's and O's, you know, you mentioned this a little bit earlier. This is the first playoff game in Detroit at this stadium in 30 years. What do you think this means to the city of Detroit before we get into our picks and our actual XNLs breakdown? Oh, this is huge. Coming off of a University of Michigan national title, which makes me, you know, as an Ohio State alum, makes me kind of throw up in my mouth a little. But um, the the city is already on cloud nine. The celebration has already begun. When that game begins, it is going to be lit in that building you are going to be able to feel the goosebumps. And that's not for being a Lions fan. That's for being a football fan. It is going to be incredible because the city has not seen this kind of NFL playoff action in 30 years or or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. It is so- gigantic. We have a chance in Detroit to put same old lions to bed forever. And to me, this game is the one game report card for the entire season. Are we really better than same old lions? Or did we just have a very nice schedule, which we did. Let's not kid ourselves. The 12 wins came against one of the softer schedules in the NFL. It really did. There were some very nice wins in it. We also got smoked by a lot of teams. In those four losses, five losses, we got smoked by Baltimore, got smoked by Chicago, got smoked by Green Bay. So, and those are now playoff teams. The competition gets up. And if you look, if the Lions win this, I am perfectly happy to extend Goff big money. If the Lions don't win this, especially if it's because Goff gets exposed again. Now the Lions have some very serious questions in the offseason, but we'll save that for the wrap-up. As far as this game is concerned, this, believe it or not, is not a game that the Lions particularly match up well. The Lions might have the best pair of two tackles in 
the NFL, but the line, but the Rams get most of their pressure off the inside from Aaron Donald, where we just saw in the Dallas game, the left guard let a defensive lineman right through five, six, seven times free in that game. If that's Aaron Donald, then they're going to be lions going to the hospital. The they've got a tremendous running back in LA, which is not necessarily a weakness of the Lions. They've done very well against the run all year, but they also have very strong possession type receivers with speed to do extra in Cooper Cup and Puka Nakua. Both of them are similar players. Stafford loves them both. And very similar to St. Brown for the record. Yeah, that same kind of you know, it's that same kind of template of being a receiver that the NFL just seems to comedically undervalue. You'd think sooner or later they'd figure it out Agreed. that if you can run excellent routes and catch the ball at a high rate, you can be a receiver. Who knew? Yeah, right. Get open, catch the ball. Shocking. Um, now, while you're talking about the Rams, too, like we talked about the second half that Green Bay and Chicago had. They, they still mixed two or three losses in there since the bye week splitting the Rams season directly in half. They are seven in one. <laughs> uh, their only loss was on the road to Baltimore, 37 to 31, where they were Lamar basically won at the end. The Rams also, I mean, and despite those wins, they've had some ugly wins against backup Niners, the Giants, the Ray, the, the Arizona, but they've also, you know, they're on, they're winning a lot of games against playoff teams. And winning teams. You know what happened at the bye? That was when Kyron Williams got healthy. That, Makes sense. He's the engine that drives them, or at least rounds out their offense. He has been unbelievable. I don't know how many how teams missed on Kyron Williams as much as as they did. Yeah. The, um. A, go ahead. He's an interesting character because I remember following him in the drafts in the offseason. He was a top ten rookie dynasty prospect, and then when he hit the combine, they said, "Oh, he's small and he's slow." And then is the classic got good at football doesn't measure up in the combine. So therefore they fade him. And then two years later, they find out, Hey, guys who are good at football are good at football. <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. Um, so for the lions to win this game, they're going to have to establish the run probably towards the edges because you're not going to have, you're not going to make a lot of money running right at Aaron Donald. It's a Gibbs game. Yep. This is going to have to be a Gibbs game or, a lot of intermediate Amon Ra stuff. This would be Sam Laporta territory if he was fully healthy. Mm-hmm. We'll see how much he plays. Um, I don't think you're going to beat the Rams downfield very often, which is not the strength of the game. Although we might see a game plan from McVay where he's daring Goff to beat him downfield. That might be what happens here because he knows Goff's tendency is to check down. Yeah. And he will not necessarily look where the defense is before he does it. And I agree with that because that's my concern if I'm a, of a Lions fan, because if golf can get the ball downfield to Jameis William, J- Jamo, if he can come through and if they can get the ball to the edges to Gibbs and those two guys can come through, I think they win the game. But if they don't, it could be scary if they just going to go underneath to Amon Ra and uh, up the middle to uh, uh, David Montgomery. It kind of plays into the hands of what McVay and the Rams are going to want to do. So this is a scary matchup, what you were alluding to earlier. And I agree. Who do you have? 
<laughs> I I had it. I had the Lions until the very end when I was really thinking about the X's and O's and if the Lions are going to lean into Jamison Williams and Gibbs versus you know Demont Montgomery and Laporta or not Laporta uh, St. Brown and the fact that Laporta is going to be injured or out or slowed is very concerning. Um, uh, I I I'm going to go with my heart. And go go with the Lions at home to win their first game. It feels like a feels like their year. There's no more curse of Bobby Lane. Knock on wood. Michigan just won the national title. I feel like I'm not going to bet against Michigan right now. They're on a roll yeah. as a state. Yeah. yeah, as as a Lions fan, I so want the Lions to win, but I can also totally see Jared Goff imploding or Dan Campbell doing something crazy at the last minute. I've started calling him Dan Gamble because he doesn't care about the consequences. Somebody keep him away from the lottery tickets. He will grab at the 5% chance of improving and try and take it because he is that level of aggressive. That's going to win you some games between because the players love it and the motivation, but it's also going to lose you games. There's no doubt it lost the Lions the game against the Cowboys mm. bad refereeing aside, which was all over that game on, you know, to the benefit of neither team at the end. But as far as this game is concerned, man, I can't pick against the lions in this one. I hope I'm right. Even though I feel like this would be nearly a pick em game if I was setting a line. And that's why I don't set lines, but <laughs> Yeah, the lion. You know, I'm picking the lions here. We got to get past this one, and then we'll see what happens. Yeah. Thank you very much for listening to the Midwest Football Podcast this week and all season long. We'll continue. We'll continue to bring you weekly coverage of the NFL's Midwest teams right up until all of them are eliminated from the playoffs, which hopefully will be a lot longer than just this week. So we will definitely see you next uh, week when we get when we wrap up these games and look ahead to what the future of the playoffs holds. Thank you so much for joining us and giving us some of your time this week to give us a listen and hopefully share us, comment on us, do stuff that helps us grow our show. Thank you also to Raymond for our intro and outro music off of his uh, album Call to Me. Thank you to Chris Brandley for our logos on our social media. But that's all the time we have this week. So we will take it to the locker room for the fifth quarter. And until we can hopefully celebrate some playoff wins, we will see you later. I miss you already. <laughs> <laughs>